Well, if you didn't realize it, we just sang a number of the verses from Psalm 34. Please uh, take out your Bibles and uh, join me in turning to Psalm chapter 34, Psalm 34, as we go to God's Word, let's return to Him once again in prayer and ask for His aid and assistance. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that through all the changing scenes of life, You are steady. You are sure. We are secure in You. And Father, Your Word is true and steady. It tells us what we are to believe about you and also what duty you ask of your people. So Father, be pleased now to open your word by the working of your Holy Spirit to our hearts and open our hearts to the truth of your word that we would be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. We've been talking about the Psalms this summer as really giving a voice, giving expression to all kinds of emotions, joy and sorrow and fear and delight. And the Psalms are such a treasure to the church. We've remarked that What can miserable Christians sing? The Psalms. And what can joyful and thankful Christians sing? The Psalms. The Psalms are a precious treasure for the church. You know, most of us look to God's Word to be changed, to to become different, uh, to be encouraged and to be built up. But sometimes when you read the Psalms, you come away discouraged, at least at first. Have you found that to be the case? That you go into God's Word expecting to be built up and strengthened and encouraged, and instead you're reading this and you actually start feeling worse. Wait a minute, what's going on? Um, Have you found that to be the case? I certainly have. And and recently, like just recently, like a few days ago when I started pouring over Psalm 34. We sang earlier Psalm 103 and you hear these great testimonies and truth of God healing you and God um, saving you and rescuing you. And you feel when you're reading that, I am not healed. I am not rescued. I am still in mess and misery. Some of you may have experienced the death of a child, a financial setback, the loss of a job, and you go into reading a psalm, maybe like Psalm 90, and you you're actually, can this be? God is good? I've just lost How can God be good? Now, although Psalm 34 is understandably categorized as a psalm of praise and thanksgiving, you may find that praise and thanksgiving are not your first response. 
Now, now why would I say that? Again, over-the-top language. Just look, uh, for example, we, we see in Psalm 34 of deliverance from all my fears. All my fears? Verse 4, salvation, David writes, from all his troubles. Verse 6, he has no lack. Verse 9, people lacking no good thing. Verse 10, and deliverance from all their troubles. Verse 17. So, okay, so maybe you're not discouraged when you read Psalm 34, but you may be thinking, this really is unbelievable. It, it, It sounds just too good to be true. Deliverance and rescue and salvation and no lack. It sounds too good to be true. Look with me at the heading of Psalm 34. And you heard a few minutes ago the background text for Psalm 34, 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 15. Now, those of you that can read names, you may see an apparent contradiction because the heading of Psalm 34 speaks of Abimelech, but the passage from 1 Samuel speaks of Achish. Well, what's going on? Well, most of... The scholars and theologians think that uh, what's going on is Abimelech is a throne name and Achish is his personal name. Remember, David is on the run and David's got a clever strategy, right? He pretends to be insane, deranged. Uh, if, you, if you didn't smile and a bit, maybe laugh a bit in hearing Achish's description of David being a madman, a madman, and he wanted nothing to do, let's get him out of here. So David comes up with a strategy to save his life. Now David is maybe thinking that this is a good story to tell folks. Look what I did. Look what I did to get myself rescued. But maybe in David's telling others of this good story, he suddenly realizes that there is a real story hidden inside his good story. You know, he pretended to be mad, but what we don't read in 1 Samuel is he's probably praying. He's probably begging God to rescue him, to deliver him. So David in telling this good story of his cleverness, realizes, wait a minute, I can't boast of my own ingenuity or cleverness, but I've got to boast in someone else. I've got to rejoice in the Lord. And maybe that's the origin of Psalm 34. David's rejoicing in the Lord, boasting in the Lord. It was the Lord's real story. Underneath and behind David's good story of feigning madness. Join with me now as I read Psalm 34. Of David, would he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went out, he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Well, before we begin to unpack and explore Psalm 34, we're going to need to recognize and understand the difference between two very short words. O and O. O and O in the Bible. Now, every translation in the Bible is an interpretation from the original language. And as, all, as most of you know, uh, what I'm using here is the English Standard Version, the ESV, and some of you use that in other translations. And and so these statistics that you're going to hear are coming from the English Standard Version and also the New King James Version. But the word O, as in single letter O, occurs 1,129 times in the Bible. Over a thousand times, O, O Lord, O man, and as we heard in verse 11, O children. But 72 times in the Bible is the word O, as in O-H. Five times in Genesis, two times in Exodus, 12 times in Job. For those of you with us last year for our, uh, our adult Sunday school class on suffering, you remember Job, oh, he is suffering and cries out, oh. 28 times in Psalms. And would you believe that the psalm that has the most O's, three O's, as in O-H, is here in Psalm 34. We see Psalm 34, we see O as in one letter used once, verse 11, but O used three times in verse 3 and 8 and 9. You see, the single letter O is used to address someone or something directly. It precedes the name of the one being Formally addressed, like, O Lord, O children of men, 
Oh, Romeo. Oh, Captain, my Captain. But O, O-H, is an interjection that has a wider range that's usually employed to express an emotional state, especially surprise, pain, sorrow, anxiety, or a wish. You see, O, as in O-H, is an exclamatory particle that always expresses intense emotion. And depending on the the context, uh, it's a request for spirited approval, it's an urgency, an exasperation, an importance, a a joy. So our approach to Psalm 34 will be through the lens of the word O, as in O-H. And what we will see in Psalm 34 is, firstly, a group O, secondly, a personal O, and thirdly and finally, a lifetime O. And you'll notice that these three O's are are David's major commands in Psalm 34. So let's take a look firstly at a group O. Verse 3. O, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. See, that's the conclusion of David's opening three verses. David is gushing forth words of praise. He's reflecting on his miraculous escape from a near-death experience. David's words are intensely personal. Look, I will bless my mouth, my soul. But then at the end of two, he, he shifts and he says this, let the humble hear. And be glad. Some translations, let the afflicted hear and be glad. Oh, David says, magnify the Lord with me. He wants others to join with him. He doesn't want to be alone in praising God. He wants... I mean, when you magnify the Lord, kids, are you making God bigger? You know, are you somehow... Increasing the size of God, increasing the glory of God. No, you're recognizing who He is, His greatness, His glory. You are, you are recognizing God for who He is, who He has declared Himself to be. Magnifying the Lord, exalting, praising, giving thanks to Him, glorifying Him. He wants it together. If you would turn with me to... to uh, Uh, Romans 15 Romans 15 you know it's the verse that shows up in almost every email you know worship and welcome I I want us to hear again beginning in verse 4 of Romans 15 for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that, here it is, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. It's worshiping the Lord. You see, David is putting a plug in here for the public and corporate aspect of worship. 
Do you look, did you look forward to coming this morning? You know, I meet some people who really think that they can grow as a Christian, grow as a believer, make progress by themselves. I'm not sure what Bible they're reading because Scripture after Scripture speaks of the corporate aspect of worship, the corporate aspect of discipleship, the corporate aspect of evangelism. Do you look forward to being with God's people? Ask yourself that question. And if you don't, why don't you? And ask God, God, could you help me be more eager to worship and glorify God with one voice as hearts are united? So this group O is the first major command. And it will soon be followed by the second major command, a call that shifts the focus, interestingly, from the group to the individual. It's the personal O. And we see that in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David has said, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good to me. And look at all the words he uses in Psalm 34 to talk about the Lord's goodness. I've tasted and seen, I've experienced. In other words, not only do I acknowledge it, but I have actually experienced it. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good to me. And if you have to summarize where the location of the goodness of God to David was, it's because David has taken refuge in the Lord. Is that not a theme thus far in the Psalms? Taking refuge in the Lord. You see, even at our best, we realize that... uh, We've got to have a shelter. We've got to have a place of security, satisfaction. We've got to be somewhere. We've got to do something in order. It's, we're hardwired for it. But sin, of course, has, has messed up our wiring. And we have gone after anything and everything but the Lord. We've tried to find our refuge in other people and other things. And psalm after psalm after psalm says, no, our refuge is in the Lord. So David says, I want you, my reader, God's people, to taste and see that the Lord is good to everyone who takes refuge in Him. Now, how? I think verse 18 uh, helps to provide an answer. Um, Children, this is a question for you. Uh, In order to taste something, how close do you have to get? Come on, help the adults out. How close? Uh, Yeah, really close, right? You have to get close, right? Something we have to do. But look what verse 18 says. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Uh, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close. He's so close you can taste Him. So let me ask you this, as I ask myself this. If it's true, and of course we believe it is, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, He saves the crushed in spirit, let's ask this question. 
Is your heart broken? Right now, not by circumstances out there. Is your heart broken by your own sin? Is your spirit crushed? Not necessarily because of the external circumstances, although that weighs in, of course. But is your spirit crushed by the weight of, your, of recognizing the guilt of your own sin? What good news we have. The Lord is not far from the brokenhearted. He doesn't tell the crushed in spirit to stand on their own two feet. No, He's near to those broken in heart by their sin. He, is, he saves and rescues those crushed in spirit. We read in 1 Peter 2 this interesting statement. 1 Peter 2, 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, Peter's fundamental principle is a Christian among other things, is someone who has tasted that the Lord is good. And he's going to give instruction on how to live the Christian life, but only to those who indeed have tasted that the Lord is good. It's those people who have tasted the Lord that want to grow up and mature. And he uses that interesting expression of of spiritual milk. So David calls God's people to join him in glorifying and exalting the Lord. He wants people to take this call personally to know by experience that the Lord is indeed good because they are taking refuge in Him. Now the third major command makes it clear that the worship of God and the experiencing of God as good is to be not for a moment, not for some time in the past, but for a lifetime. And so in verse 9, we have a lifetime O. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. If you look at verse 11, David has had a testimony for the first half of the uh, psalm, and now he's going to have the teaching. And he begins in In 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? Some of you that know your Bibles a bit may immediately go to Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And in Proverbs 9.10, talk about copying. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. By the way, that's a good thing that you've got Psalms and Proverbs saying the same thing. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? Wow, that's a topic for a 12-week series, isn't it? But let's make it simple. It's reverence toward God in both attitude and action. It's reverence toward God in both attitude and action. It's to recognize who God is, who you are, and to respond appropriately. 
And so what does it mean here in verse 9? Oh, fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I, I think at least two things according to Psalm 34. To fear the Lord means to adopt a particular posture. To adopt a particular posture. And what would that posture be in a word? Trust. What David is modeling in his praise and thanksgiving and instruction is trusting in the Lord. When he cries out to help for help, he really believes that the one to whom he is calling out to can actually help, can save, can rescue. It's a posture, a particular posture of trust. And in Psalm 34, we see also that the fear of the Lord means to embark on a passionate pursuit. It's not only to adopt a particular posture, that of trust, but it's to embark on a passionate pursuit. And what would that be? Obedience. Look at verse 10. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It sounds like something that we're called to do, right? Seek the Lord. Look at verse 13. The fear of the Lord leads to how we speak. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. It's a passionate pursuit to speak with no evil or deceit. And look at verse 14, how it just describes conduct in general. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Every morning lately, I've been using a valley of vision. And one of the daily prayers speaks of asking God to guide and direct you so that nothing, that you couldn't invite God's inspection on anything. Order your day so that whatever I think, whatever I say, whatever I do, Lord, it's open to you. Talk about a convicting prayer that cannot invite His approval. There are some gray areas in life to be sure, but there are also some black and white areas. You know, those of you in internet technology probably love zeros and ones, right? There's a binary aspect, right? Turn away from evil and do good. Fearing the Lord means embarking on a passionate pursuit. It means adopting a particular posture. And how would you summarize it? Trust and obey. And that's what David is doing. He's trusting the Lord. He's obeying the Lord. Well, here in Psalm 34, we've got three O's. Other than Job 19, which is certainly understandable... There's only one chapter where three O's show up. It's Psalm 34. And of the 72 times O shows up in the Bible, in my particular translation, the ESV, guess how many times it shows up in the New Testament? Are you ready for this? One. Where would that be? Where 
would there be an O in the New Testament? Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Paul, for 11 chapters, has been presenting, proclaiming, explaining the gospel. He's about ready to take the tact of how the gospel applies, how you put hands and feet to the truth of the gospel, how the gospel changes lives. And how does he conclude? Look at with me at Romans 11.33. Here it is, the only time in the New Testament. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Was Paul, when writing to the church in Rome, did he have Psalm 34 with him? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, fear the Lord. Did he have that in mind? You see... Throughout Romans 1 through 11, Paul is declaring the gospel to be both true and good. You see, the gospel that Paul is declaring that we have been given is not too good to be true, it is not unbelievable. In fact, earlier Paul said, What? It's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Look with me at the last verse of Psalm 34. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None. Absolute language. Over the top language. Unbelievable language. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. And that's why Paul can say, There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have taken refuge in the one person, the one place that God has provided. My friends, I went in to Psalm 34, and my first few times in Psalm 34, I came out more discouraged than I went in. You've got to be kidding. This is no way. But as I hung in there, as I plowed in there, as God mercifully opened my eyes to see the beauty, the goodness, the truth of His Word, oh my, I'm not the same person as I was. That's what God's Word does For me, it's what God's Word by His Spirit does for all of you as well. All of you who are taking refuge in Jesus. Who have been declared not guilty through faith in Jesus. You see, 
For the past month, I've been battling anxiety. I don't know where it came from, but it showed up and it parked itself at my doorstep. And it knocked and it came in. And there's been a passage that I've gone to over and over again. And it dawned on me that as Paul wrote from jail to the Philippians... He probably had Psalm 34 either with him in a scroll or definitely as a rabbi memorized. You see, Paul picks up Psalm 34 when he writes in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And don't miss this. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, my friends, if you have not Salt and found refuge in Jesus. I beg you, I implore you, do that. It's in taking refuge in the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ that you really do taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the three big O's of Psalm 34. And we ask that you would help us as a church to indeed magnify the Lord and together exalt your name. Father, individually, as families, may we taste and see that you, Father, are good. You are great and you are good. You are sovereign and you are kind. Father, may our lives be lived with a holy reverence, a soberness that to be sure includes great joy and thanksgiving and delight, but a life that always recognizes who you are, who we are, and especially who we are in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.